The World on Fire, Chapter 4, The Power of Prayer. The Welsh Revival was initiated and carried by a devotion to prayer and intercession that also spread throughout the worldwide Christian community. Much of the fire that continues in some of the great prayer movements of today could likely trace their origin to a lingering spark from the Welsh Revival. The prayer and praise mingled together in most of those meetings. James E. Stewart wrote about them. Quote, it was praying that rent the heavens, praying that received direct answers there and then. The spirit of intercession was so mightily poured out that the whole congregation would take part simultaneously for hours. Strangers were startled to hear the young and unlearned pray with such unction and intelligence as they were swept up to the throne of grace by the Spirit of God. Worship and adoration was unbounded. Praise began to mingle with the petitions as answered prayer was demonstrated before their very eyes. Often when unsaved loved ones were the focus of the intercession, they would be compelled to come to the very meeting and be saved." Unquote. This further fed both the worship and the intercession. When the believers understood that God really did hear their prayers, prayer quickly rose to the highest priority in their lives. As they prayed with more faith, they began to see quick answers to them. When they became increasingly specific in their request, the answers became even more spectacular. They would pray for specific friends or family members in one meeting, and that person would be at the altar seeking salvation in the next one. This would fan the flames of intercession even more. And this unquestionably fanned the flames of the revival. Prayer meetings that had been drudgery before became the main attractions, even for entire cities. Meetings swelled until overflowing, both with people and with the anointing. Meetings that were expected to be regular services quickly became prayer meetings as it became the first nature of everyone to pray. Groups walking to work would start praying as soon as they would be joined by a swelling crowd who were drawn by the anointing. Spontaneous prayer meetings started in shops and homes, and there were even cases when factories shut down so that the workers could pray. At the peak of the revival, the whole town population gathered to march around their neighborhoods and claim them for Christ. On several occasions, the population of a town would march to a neighboring town to pray for it, and the revival would inevitably be ignited there. This revival was a witness that few things can so energize believers as when they discover the power of prayer. They saved souls. The main focus of prayer in this revival was always for the lost. There can be no revival without soul winning. 
and in saving lost souls, the Welsh revival must be considered one of the most intense and effective revivals of all time. This revival was not a program for using a few preachers or a campaign to get church members testifying to the saving grace of the Lord Jesus. No classes were given on how to reach the lost. It just seemed like every Christian in Wales erupted simultaneously with a burning agony for the lost. The joy of salvation simply could not be contained by the believers as every coal mine, tram car, office, school, or shop became a pulpit for the gospel. Even more than the preaching, it was the witness of the common believers which led multiplied thousands to a saving faith in Jesus. There was no set pattern or strategy for the witnessing. It was simply born out of an overflowing joy and faith that could not be contained in those who knew the Savior. The presence of the Lord was so intense in Wales that those who had traveled from the ends of the earth to witness it said that just being in one of the revival meetings was worth the whole journey, even if Evan and Dan Roberts or Sidney Evans were not there. Methodists claimed that it was a revival of the Wesley meetings of a century before. The people of Wales lost a lot of sleep because they were afraid that if they left the services, they would miss something wonderful. Many times the meetings carried on until 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning and did not end until the people, sometimes including the entire population of a city or town, had marched through the streets singing the praises of the Lamb. It was simply impossible for an unbeliever to escape this overpowering witness or not to be drawn into it by the sheer love and zeal of the people. Just as it is easy to identify a man or a woman who is in love as their lover dominates their minds and conversation, Wales fell so in love with Jesus that adoration for him lifted his name above anything else that could have captured the people's attention. The knowledge of the Lord simply washed over Wales just as the waters cover the sea. As Jesus was lifted up, all men came. They knew how to carry the ark. The ark of the covenant represented God's presence to the ancient nation of Israel. Many great lessons are in the Old Testament stories of the ark concerning how we should and should not treat the presence of the Lord. When the ark was treated as holy, and was carried before them into battle, great and miraculous victories were won. When the ark was not treated as holy, but was used as a good luck charm, they lost the ark and the battle, and it was captured by their enemies. One of the greatest reasons why the Welsh revival burned so brightly for so long was that the leaders knew how to carry the ark of God's presence. They knew how to remain open, submitted to the Lord's leading, and understood how not to offend the Spirit. 
Those who were used so mightily in this revival were loath to say anything that might draw attention to themselves and away from the Savior. As Psalm 25:14 states, the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. And they wanted to be close enough to him to know his deepest secrets, so they learned to respect him properly. Combined with their great love for the Lord, they had a profound and holy fear of offending him. They loved the ark of his presence and could not be content without having it with them, but they also reverenced it enough to learn how to handle it properly. In this great awakening, there was no ministry building, no boasting in men, but only in the Lord. When the glory of the Lord really does rest on an earthen vessel, it is not the vessel that receives the attention. We must heed Peter's warning. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. It is our job to humble ourselves. It is God's job to exalt. If we try to do his job, he will do our job. Because the leaders of the Welsh revival were utterly committed to humbling themselves, God did exalt them. They refused to send out newsletters to build their own ministries, so the Lord used the front page of almost every major newspaper in the world to spread the word of what he was doing in Wales. As soon as he found the people humble enough to handle his promotion, he gave it to them. We can build influence by self-promotion, but God will promote only those who do not promote themselves. That which is built on self-promotion will have to be maintained by human striving. Those who allow God to build the house have taken a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. Those who allow God to build the work will not be worn out by the work, but will be refreshed in it. No man can tear down that which God builds. When we do the work of God, we do not carry the worries and fears that those who have built on self-promotion must carry. Everything God does will remain forever, says Ecclesiastes 3.14. The fruit of the work that God initiates will remain. The work that is built on self-promotion inevitably ends in tragedy and disappointment. Though it is apparent that the high state of the Welsh revival itself did not last, some of the fruit of it did. It was able to impart to the universal church an understanding of the ways of God that are used by the church to this day. When revival itself becomes our goal, it is seldom attained because it becomes an idol. Revival must never become an end in itself, but a means to an even higher end, the glory of the Lord being revealed and His kingdom being extended. Sometimes His kingdom is extended by other means than revival. 
Certainly we need more true revivals, but even those are founded upon simple obedience to whatever his plan may be. And his whole plan does not revolve just around revival. This day-to-day obedience of the church and growing in true spiritual maturity is just as important to the fulfillment of God's purposes as the great outbreaks of revival. When the cloud of His presence lifts and begins to move, we must be ready to move with Him. When the cloud does not move, it is just as important that we rest in Him.